Hi everyone, my name is Greg Knight and I like watching, thinking about, and talking about movies. One of the great things about starting your own podcast is that there are some days where you get to actually talk to the creators of those movies. Our series Under the Stole is where you can find those conversations. I've had the opportunity to interview award-winning directors, up-and-coming documentarians, and even a legit Abraham Lincoln historian. So if you are curious about the creative spirit and want to learn more about how artists are inspired to make their passion projects, check out Under the Stole right here on the Popping Collars feed. I like your podcast, Alice. What is your podcast about? Hanging out with your smartest and funniest friend. Did you just groan? No. When I said hanging out with your smartest and funniest friend. Like that. Like that. You did it again. No, I didn't. First of all, a podcast takes a lot of work, okay? You have to organize the guests. You have to do a Google calendar. And then you build a following. It takes a lot of time. And I've been working on it for a while. Welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture, the longest running Episcopal podcast of all time. My name is Greg Knight. I work at the Church of Bethesda Busy in Palm Beach, Florida, and I'm all you've got today. It's July, and that means that all of your favorite irreverent podcasters are on vacation. July is also the anniversary of our little pod that could. We hit nine years old this month. Nine years. Unbelievable. This is also episode number 277 of all the various pods that we've been putting out since the beginning of our run. So here's what we're going to do to celebrate. I'm currently creating a random number generator with the numbers 1 through 276. We'll click the button nine times. See what the Google machine picks for a birthday best of sampler episode of the show. We'll play 10 clips and then we'll call it a day. So here we go. Making our random number generator on minimum one, maximum 276. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, to kick things off. We're going back to February 7th, 2021, and the pilot episode of the canon when Ricardo, Liz, Betsy, and I drafted our favorite movies starring Robin Williams. Okay, I'm going to go one-hour photo. You're a good man good husband and father, a man who appreciates his good fortune. You're not the type of father who'd cheat on his wife, hurt his family, betray their trust. Ooh, creepy. Wow. Dark, yeah. Betsy. Dark. Okay, Liz, we're back to you. I'm going to surprise you all and take Hamlet. Ooh. Okay. What? Mm-hmm. Now, this is the Kenneth Branagh Hamlet, right? Yeah, I believe so, yes. He was mm-hmm. in 
Not the Mel Gibson Hamlet. Correct. Because everybody was doing Hamlet in a period of time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mel Gibson Hamlet you watched in high school English. That's, That's right. Wasn't it so- Mel Gibson's Hamlet? <laughs> <laughs> By William Shakespeare. And <laughs> Next up, we're traveling to March 1st, 2018, when we had special guest Kevin Matthews on the podcast to talk about the new Marvel movie offering that year, Black Panther. So when Eric Killmonger makes it to Wakanda, spoilers, by the way, people, if you're listening. Is that really his last name? In the movie, they called it his nickname. In the comics, it is his last name. Um, It's a little on the nose. That's all. It's a little on the nose. That's a good thing comics don't usually do that. Yeah, I mean, right? I'm sorry. Killmonger is on the nose. Sorry, excuse me. I know a lot of Killmongers. (laughs) I reacted to the two different fights. As I thought, the one, the the one with Killmonger, it's a um, seemed much, much worse. My my immediate reaction to that was that's because he doesn't get this culture. Right. This one is not being fought the way it would be. Traditionally, it's being fought by a Westerner with Westerner ideas. It's a, um, it, it treats it differently. And I can't even tell you exactly what he did, other than the fact that he threw him over the side instead of letting him go. It's a, um, but it just, the whole thing felt wrong, whereas mm-hmm. the first one didn't feel wrong. So, I mean, the way that the film starts is by telling a story. I mean, it's a lovely opening to sort of introduce the backstory of Wakanda because you start with this child's voice of basically tell me the story, story, right? And tell me the story of how we got here. And what I'm hearing from you, Kevin, is like this sense of the fight between T'Challa and M'Baku is part of that story. And Eric, Eric Killmonger is not part of the story. Right. And that's why it feels because he was intentionally chosen by tradition to not be a part of the story because he was a problem. I think that that definitely has something to say to us as Americans. Personally, I don't necessarily feel attached to an ancestry or to a wider story apart from growing up in the state of North Carolina in the United States, right? Like, I have no sense of, like, English heritage or whatever it is, you know? Nor do I really care about it. And I think that that's a privilege that I have, right? White male, cis, whatever, in my position. Let me just jump in on that. And that's, that's, that is definitely, uh, as you say, it is a point of privilege because it belies the fact that some of us had our ancestry stories taken from us. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I connect to this story because it, it, it's great because they do know their story, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, and, and, and I come from the people who don't. Yes, it is a privilege that I have hanging behind me here. My family tree that goes mm-hmm. back to like the 16, whatever, whatever's, you know, like that's that's privilege. Is the movie saying that this tradition and the current you know, change of mission or whatever's kind of happening for Wakanda. Do these things exist together? Is it choosing one over the other? You've got, you've got two poles that are kind of working against each other. Wakanda is going to be safe if it stays detached from the world, but Wakanda isn't going to help anyone as long as it stays detached from the world. And that's what T'Challa has to struggle with. 
Okay. And by, by stepping out, it's a, a spoiler again, from that position of just staying uh, withdrawn from the world, he runs the risk of all sorts of dangers come in, coming into Wakanda. Okay, this is going well. So let's click nine more times. And see what we get. Oh... Oh, okay. So this is a recent one. We're going back to Spain in an episode from September 26, 2022, when Ryan Parker and I talked about the La Rioja region of the Camino de Santiago on the Sacred Six. I feel like whenever you talk about the Camino, you have to talk about this at every stage if you're conceiving it in these different, or as, as you do, conceive it in these different stages. You know, at what point does taking a taxi or a bus to get you to your final destination, if you've walked 10 miles and then you've only got like three or four left and you decide to take a taxi, you, you know, you hinted at this in the last episode. Did, did you miss something? Yeah. The section where I first learned, well, yeah, I think it was in the section when we realized that you can hire a service to transport your pack to your next stop. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, is that would a pil- would a real pilgrim do would that? Real- <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no, and totally. I can't remember if we did that. I don't think we did. But if I did the pilgrimage again, I would. Yeah. No, this is but, where you're starting to like everything's starting to take on its own kind of life, and this is where you start to recognize that the Camino isn't. It's not a thing that lives in a book. Like it's a living thing that you're living through. So it's oh, like, yeah. you know, folks, like it blew my mind when someone said, I think I'll take a rest day. It's like, I'm sorry, you didn't plan your rest day. You didn't like, what, like you're just deciding to stop in this town. Like, that's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you, you play it, you play it by ear a little bit, you know? You know, yeah. um, I, we did that too. We, we our original idea for the Camino was that we would complete it and go somewhere for a rest for like a week, go to a beach somewhere or something in Spain and maybe have some friends from London come meet us or whatever. And then as we walked, we realized we're chasing something. We're we're trying to get to something. Mm -hmm. And so we scrapped that whole idea and said, well, let's just build rest days into our Camino, make that part of the journey. right? Right. So we spent, we would spend those in places like, Burgos or uh, Lagrano, Leon, you know, we would stay maybe an extra day or two, be a bit walk, you know, walk around the city, but, uh, but, but just largely take a break. And, and that was uh, something we hadn't expected, you know, when we started. It is day 10 on the Camino de Santiago. And we are walking today from Santo Domingo de la Calzada to Belorado. Fun facts about Belorado. After a long string of nearly abandoned villages, Belorado is something of a wonder. Once again, we have geography to think. Belorado sits right in the middle of a narrow pass that cuts through two hillsides. The difference in altitude is small, less than 200 meters, but the hills are steep enough to provide some protection and fighting advantage. It was well developed before the arrival of Santo Domingo, with his knack for setting towns on an east-west axis. At one time, the town boasted eight churches, a thriving market, and two pilgrim hospices. 
Also of note are the caves that dot the hillsides here. They drew a not insignificant number of hermits to the area, many of which became well known. Santo Domingo chose a life of hermitage when he was turned away from the monastery, and other orders like that of St. Milian also began with a single cave-dwelling hermit. And uh, day 10, that means that we are a third of the way to Santiago. I can see it on the horizon right now. That's not true. All I see on the horizon right now is wheat, which is all I've seen on the horizon for a while now. Okay, here we go. The Wayback Machine is taking us all the way to April 10th, 2015. And you'll never believe what we're talking about almost 10 years ago. Actually, you'll totally believe it. It's yet another true crime conversation. Probably our first true crime conversation, because I think NPR's serial had just been released. Please excuse whatever the audio quality is for this oldie. And um, it'll also sound like I'm whispering because I'll have a six-month-old. Is that right? April. No, a nine-month-old baby in my house at the time. So that's why I sound this weird in this clip. Here it is. But it's funny that you mentioned Sherlock Holmes, Betsy, because I think that that is is probably where a lot of this goes to is the the observational um, detective that he he would solve crimes just by his um, being able to observe things in a different way. And that's definitely what Reddit was trying to do with um, Mm -hmm. with cereal and with the Boston bomber and with, you know, we all like to think that we can notice something that other people can't notice when, in fact, we all have these little lenses that are really, really biased. Mm-hmm. And certainly that's having just watched the jinx. Like the difference between those two stories is that Robert Durst has money so he can mount a defense. Right. Um, and Adnan doesn't. Right. Well, I think it's, so it's that, right. The, the powerlessness that comes inside less privilege, decreased privilege. Right. It's this story about, people without privilege and people of color and not the stereotypical NPR listener is privileged and right. I mean, at least in my mind, if everyone is like Ira Glass and Sarah Koenig um, and it became this huge phenomenon. And what's really interesting to me is everyone is listening to it. And like all of my friends were like, oh, are you going to donate to cereal? Are you going to give money for the second season? Are you going to give money to this or that? And I'm like, you guys don't do any charitable giving. Really? I mean, most of my friends who aren't involved in churches, like that's not a big part of their financial landscape. And they're like so quick to give to cereal. So what is it that they tapped into? It was, it was a podcast. I think that, I think that there are two ways to listen to the show. I think that there's this way of, of sort of approaching the show that you're like, well, I'm kind of open to wherever the story goes, you know, maybe, maybe this guy's guilty, maybe he's innocent, but you know, let me, let me hear the story. What's your story. Right. And then there's this other piece that because some of the early episodes draw into question, you know, some key pieces of evidence, all of a sudden your brain starts thinking, wait, 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 he didn't do it. Let's let's figure out who did, right? So now it's not a he done it or it's a who done it in a very in a very real way. And 
and it's almost like people eliminate Adnan as a suspect immediately because that's 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 too obvious. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, like you know, this this story has to be m- like more entertaining, more compelling. It's got to be someone that you wouldn't think of, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so who are those? Who are the potential suspects? And all of a sudden, yeah, it's you're you're inventing a story in your brain that may not exist. I, I think that I think that you know this idea of searching for. You know, maybe if I maybe if I listen really carefully, I'm going to be the person that hears that key piece of evidence. That- mm-hmm. Well, and I think one of my favorite episodes, I think it was towards the latter part of the series, was when he he really puts it to Sarah Koenig and says, you know, you don't really know me. Right. Yeah. You don't really know me. You're getting to know me through this this one event. And yeah, you know, she can talk about his life in prison and you know those sorts of things, but. You don't, you don't really you don't really know me in terms of being someone who's a who loves personal storytelling and and all of that and who does it professionally it it was really like one of those oh you know I was sitting here thinking I know him he's right. calling me out listening to this cuz I don't know him if she doesn't know him well, I definitely don't know him one of the problematic pieces of the procedural, the law and orders, the CSIs of the world. So everything's wrapped up in an hour. And you get the sense that, like, that's kind of how criminal justice should work. You know, Betsy makes a great point that people kind of see themselves as the heroes of their own movie when they look back on their life. And I think that's true. I think pop culture really influences a lot of the ways that we kind of see our life. Like we do frame our lives in terms of a movie. And sometimes we see crimes and things like that. And we think, Oh, that should, that shouldn't take long. It should be solved pretty quickly because they can do it in an hour on TV, you know? And it's like this, this total disconnect between reality and really what happened, like reality and this narrative that you kind of make up for yourself. And I think that that's, that's kind of what can happen is that in this kind of pursuit of justice, you just look for, well, what's the quickest justice we can get? Because we need to wrap this up, right? This case is taking way too long. Well, but then on the other hand, how nice and tidy that little HBO jinx activity just kind of wraps up with an arrest and how a little easy, you know, well done, but but just interesting. I mean, it's the payoff that you were hoping for or some action, more action on the on the serial front. That that was how I felt watching the Jinx was, um, oh, this is what I wanted Serial to be. Without examining too much the values under that desire or the ethical um, considerations of the storytellers in it. But what I wanted Sarah Koenig to do was to show up on the new podcast saying like, and we found a diary entry from... 1999, you know, and this seals the deal or there's been handwriting analysis or whatever. And that did happen in the jinx, which once you actually get through the show, I don't know about you, Greg, but it almost I almost felt a little dirty afterwards for how good it felt, like how satisfied I felt that they produced this new evidence and and wrapped it up nicely because it is is so um, not real life. And the number generator has chosen an episode from May 31st, 2021. And that brings us to, oh, this is exciting. 
It's a PC book club episode, and it's actually an episode that features a book that I'm reading this summer, Homegoing by Ya'a Gyasi. Uh, fun fact, I am going back through all of our PCBCs and catching up on uh, Liz and Ricardo's recommendations. So if you are looking to start reading more, then I would suggest following along with the two best book potters that I know. Here they are. I'll tell you what, I had a hard time preparing today because, well, as you all know, I will recommend a book in almost any podcast we record. So I sort of have used all my books. And even in a recent episode of Popping Collars, I recommended a book that Ricardo had already recommended on this satellite podcast. So obviously I'm not tracking things very well. So I've kind of run out of suggestions. And this hasn't been a great reading year for me so far. My reading challenge was 50 books for the year, and I'm already eight books behind. Whoa. I know. I just haven't been into it this year as much as I was last year. And I think um, I've had some duds that were slow to get through. Right. And I wouldn't recommend those on the podcast, I don't think, unless people want to know what those are. Right, 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 right. You could cheat a little and read thin books. Well, that's true. Yeah. Poetry volumes of poetry and really really yeah. short books you could also play your uh, audiobooks at 1.3 speed or i something. do that sometimes especially for like thrillers and you know i'm going on the road soon i'll be traveling a little bit more throughout the diocese so um i'll, the, I'll be able to listen to audiobooks but you know it used to be when i got home at from work at the end of the night i um would read a lot. And now I'm watching Netflix instead. And I think that that's part of my COVID reentry is like, I didn't anticipate how quickly things would come back in terms of like schedule and pacing. And I'm just, um, to be honest with you, I'm more stressed out than I've been in a long time. And that's not a good um, attitude to bring to reading. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I actually uh, made a, um, what do you call it? I cataloged all the books I own because I went on this buying binge over the last couple of years. There's uh, in Los Gatos, there's the public library and there's the Friends of the Library bookstore. And it is unbelievable. Literally almost every book is a dollar. And there are great things like books that just came out like last year kind of thing. And I've really, I, I probably bought, you know, 85 books <laughs> over the course of a year or so, and um, probably spent $140, 150 on all 85. Wow. So just, you know, I bought every single, and I've started thinking about like, well, when I retire, I want to, I want to read this book before I die. You know, I want to read this book again. So I just kept amassing them. So I cataloged them. Then I started something where when I finish it, I catalog it. And the year I, I read it, and if it was an audio book, so I actually know which books I've read so far in 2021, and I'm doing a little better than you are. I bet you are. What have you got? How many? Uh, 13, actually. Ooh, that is good. And one of those was War and Peace. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's like five books. Yeah. Five books. And that was a book book. But uh, I will say that uh, it's fun kind of thinking of reading books, I think, for me, as a kind of a, almost like a little project. Oh, I get to put it on my list. And oh, yeah. these are the ones I read last year. And 
have some mindfulness about it. Yeah. You know, something you just said made me think I recently watched the movie, Our Friend. Have you heard of this? No. It's a Casey Affleck movie. It's really beautiful and will make you cry, cry, cry. But the premise is there's um, a couple and then they have a best friend and it's the sort of the story of their friendship, the three of them. But the mother, this is no spoilers, young mom, wife um, is diagnosed with terminal cancer. And eventually she comes to terms with the fact that she's dying and she comes up with a bucket list, you know, of like, these are the things I want to do before I die. And some are really crazy and silly and fun. But um, she had a lot, she had rereading a lot of her favorite books on that bucket list. And I thought that was so moving. I had never thought about that before that like, if I knew that I was dying, like books are that important in our lives, you know, that you want to cherish them and revisit them and savor them. I had never thought about it before. What do I want to read before I die? What do I want to reread? It's such a joy of human life to be able to read. We are halfway home, so let's see where we go next. Well, okay, Uh, this has us going to January 22nd, 2015, when Liz Easton, Martin Elfert, and I talked about the then-ongoing series Breaking Bad. Another fun fact, this is one of three episodes that had to be re-recorded due to a computer crash or a lost file or whatever. So all the stuff you're hearing in this episode, we had already said three days before uh, in the first time we recorded it. So there you go. That's the magic of podcasting. Please to enjoy... Is it a total church nerd move to uh, go to scripture immediately? I went, no, please do. <laughs> I, while I was thinking about what we'd talk about, I started wondering about the wilderness. And uh, the wilderness is a theme which occurs throughout scripture. And one of this, it's this kind of paradoxical place. It is a place of transformation, but also a place of danger and I was thinking in particular about Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness after his baptism. Uh, one of the themes, it seems to me, that shows up in that story is you can't make a little deal with the devil. You're either, you may think you're making a little mm-hmm. deal, but you're either all the way in or, or not. And so Jesus says, you know, I'm not going to do even this little thing. Uh, I'm not going to do any of the things you ask, even if there's some big payoff for that. And I kind of wonder if that theme of wilderness, uh, certainly a biblical archetype and maybe just a huge human archetype in general, if that's one of the reasons that we spend so much time in the desert in Breaking Bad, uh, we find out in that show that the desert is really is a dangerous place. I think of that episode where their RV breaks down, and it's very clear that they're in huge, huge distress if they can't get a friend to drive out there or get it started again. I think you're right. I mean, I think that really it's the opening shot of the show that kind of cements this because you're, you're dropped into the middle of Walter having to figure his way out of a scenario. And it is that wilderness experience and he's totally exposed in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about that opening shot of Walter is this kind of pathetic character in tidy whities, you know, with the cops 
running him down. And actually, the great thing about the opening to the show is that it could very well be the ending of the show. You have no idea at that point. Like, if you're looking at, like, how Walter meets his demise, and the rest of the show is going to be kind of a flashback that got him there. And it turns out that it's actually the payoff to the very first episode. Um, But yeah, the, the theme of the desert is tied to this show i think and something about walter going out into the desert and where jesus comes back one thing walter kind of comes back another thing from his wilderness experience i guess yeah what i find so interesting and i guess spiritually challenging and nourishing for me about the story of jesus's temptation in the desert is that the devil kind of speaks Jesus's own language with his temptations. And it's like they're tailor made just for Jesus. Like, you know, turn these stones into bread. He says to this person who wants to feed the world or, you know, this kingdom will be yours. He says to, you know, the king of creation. It's all, And I really do think that that's how sin and temptation and the devil and evil works is by sort of seducing us with our own language. And, asking us to make choices that are very close to good choices, but can actually be quite destructive. And to me, that's kind of the story of Breaking Bad is that Walter gives himself the excuse of doing something very bad for a good reason. But in the end, that sort of tears him apart. I am curious and I kind of wonder if he really did want, if it really was a good reason at all, you know, at all. Yeah. You know, I wonder if he was always, if he always knew that this was just an excuse to do a very bad thing and be a very different kind of man. You're, you're making me think, Liz. I think it was uh, the late Peter J. Gomes, uh, the preacher at Harvard, who said that the devil doesn't attack us at our weakest point because th- we've got the weakest point really carefully guarded. We realize it's a weak spot. The devil attacks us where we're strongest. And for Walter White, that's absolutely his skill as a chemist, as a scientist, and I think his sense of duty as a father and as a husband. And that becomes this, this I don't know what, this point of entrance for what's really an exercise in his pride. Next, we're going back to September 15th, 2016. When we thought we were going to be so clever by doing a podcast about podcasts with special guest Trip Fuller from the Homebrewed Christianity Pod and John White from Episcopal Journal. This is also when we were kind of chasing notoriety by bringing on much more successful people than us, only to realize that it's a lot of work and it's easier to just have goofy conversations amongst ourselves. Anyway... Here you get to listen to professional podcasters that know what they're doing, humbling themselves to come on our show. What it's what it's coming up for me is like this idea that doing takes courage, you know, like it takes putting yourself out there somehow. What it reminds me of in in our parish life is is how it's easy to think that there are professionals who do this and we should just leave it up to the professionals. So there are people that make podcasts and we should just leave it up to those people to make podcasts and we should listen to their podcasts and because they do it really well, but heaven forbid that I should actually jump in there. Right. Because who am I? I'm not a professional. 
right? I, I just have a laptop, but it turns out that all you need is a laptop. I started in 2008 and I've started a bunch of different podcasts. Some of them stayed, some of them didn't, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm on 900 and some episodes from all the different podcasts Homebrewed has started or done consistently showing up and stuff. So it's, it's actually funny though. So, you know, people, people have me out to do the podcast live at an event or get me to speak somewhere and, and everyone else that's, you know, on the docket or whatnot is legit, right? Like they're like, Oh, that's Diana Butler Bass or whatever. And I, and I've done those events and, and then there are more people that are pumped that I'm going to be there because I've never been to this state before. And they've listened to the podcast all the time. And they they don't know who these people are because they don't keep up with popular Christian stuff. They're just nerds. So you have like engineer, physicist, dude that like quit his graduate program in philosophy and they have a beer group and they all show up in force. And they're like, who's the 30 people in the back of the room? They're like, we can't wait for the podcast. <laughs> and you know, and I'm the only one they know. Um, and and when we started doing like the live shows in LA, so like once a month we do the podcast live with an audience at breweries around town. Like even then, so when friends come in, we'll do the live podcast. Like, oh, Brian McLaren, oh, it's Rob Bell, oh, Phyllis Tickle, or whatever. And most of those people don't know who any of these people are. Mm-hmm. They're just there for that. One of my friends that's a comedy writer. After the last time uh, we did the podcast, the brewery with Rob came up to him after and said. Man, Rob, have you ever thought about preaching? Like, I mean, I think you would be really good. I mean, I know it was more of a back and forth, but like, I, I mean, I'm not that religious, but I would think about going if you were going to preach. <laughs> and, and, you know, as ministers, we're like, that's ridiculous. Why, why in the world do, would they not know who Rob Bell is? Right. But they're going to listen to a podcast, arrange their day on uh, one Thursday night a month to go to a brewery to hear mm-hmm. like a three hour drunken philosophy and theology talk. Well, they're totally into the questions. They grew up religious. They got baggage. And then Rob's there like, this guy should preach. Yeah. And, and so most people, that's like weird. But if you, if you realize how huge the audience is for, for podcasts and how many people are always just trying new ones to find the one that like really like it's like the perfect piece of pizza. Everyone has loves pizza. You have different favorite types. But once you find that p- place where it has the pizza, and it has your slice. You're like, that's my jam. And podcast is a very intimate medium. So what happens when you read a blog? You insert the tone, the pace, the language. You you imply all sorts of things to the person. But a podcast, you can hear if you're being sarcastic. You can tell a story and you can be like, yeah, whatever. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, I don't like that, but it's clear he only half thought what he was saying and passed on right. it. And so, like, in your in someone's ear, um, I think one of the things that points out to us is that we're like, despite how cool it is to have worship with candles and stuff, we're actually moving to an age of the sermon again versus the text. Like, if you were to combine TED talks, podcasts, like, what are the longest monologues you see? Stand up comedy, mm-hmm. um, the biggest Moth. online. Yeah, Ma, yeah. Uh, online education has turned in. There's a huge market through Udemy and all sorts of stuff. People choosing to be educated by listening and watching uh, content online. Well, the church has been complaining forever that we don't have educated lay people, that you outsource your thinking to your whatnot, you know, and that kind of thing. 
we live in an age where that carefully, carefully artistically crafted conversation or talk or presentation and stuff people are, are getting. And then a podcast, they're getting it in the relationship. That's what we would like our parishes to be, right? Like an ongoing conversation between the clergy and the people where they're listening and loving the people and the people speak into them and they, they bring the word carefully crafted towards the very people they're caring for. And you develop this reciprocal relationship so that your your hundredth sermon should be better at a congregation than your first. It's like a Pentecost moment for the church, and I don't know why we wouldn't want to encourage it. We're down to the last three random episodes, and the number generator is really digging the old stuff. We're going back to February 23rd, 2017, when Sarah Miller came on the show to talk about the first season of The Good Place, show that I'm pretty sure snuck up on us as being actually good. My afterlife would include frozen yogurt. It would include Netflix. It would include wine. It would include great Nebraska sunrises and sunsets. Which it's is like you're in heaven right now, Liz. I, well, it, it really is. <laughs> it is a cornfield, right? It's a cornfield somewhere. I'm just saying. It's the gorgeous Nebraska sandhills. Hashtag blessed. That's my life. Um, but honestly, uh, last week, Sarah and I both had this experience. We had our annual clergy retreat um, at a retreat center in Schuyler, Nebraska, which is in the midst of cornfields. And we did like an old-fashioned hymn sing around the piano in the chapel one night. And um, it was really an image, like it, it was a, f- a feeling of what um, some aspect of heaven must feel like. This mm. people really raising their voices in song in a, in a joyful way, bad singers and good singers, both like everyone kind of blending together. You know, it wasn't intended to be worship. It was just intended to be kind of a fun activity. And it was really, really glorious. But it's interesting to me, you know, like this is a TV show on network TV and there's some pointing toward religious images and sort of religious histories, I guess, of the afterlife. But for the most part, it's entirely secular, just like our culture is. So it just led me to believe, like, I wonder, even as a Christian, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the afterlife, but I don't know what people who are like spiritual, but not religious how they think of the afterlife. Cause this show made me realize like they are. Well, Liz, you were saying that you posted up on Facebook that you were binging the show, mm-hmm. right? Which Greg and I both agreed. We couldn't imagine watching this show kind of one trickle at a time. Like this is, this is even being a network show binge worthy yeah, and, and, and better binged. I enjoyed it binged, but you said you got some love when you posted up on Facebook that you were watching the yeah. show. Yeah, it was the most love I've ever gotten from a Popping Collars-related post. That's for sure. And it was neat. It was a lot of um, people that don't usually interact with my churchy stuff. So, like, friends from high school and college, like, just, you know, like, saying I love the show or just, like, hitting the like button a lot. So, like, I didn't really know if it was – if a lot of people were watching it or not. I didn't know if it was popular. I don't think it was as popular as they thought it would be, but it seems to have had a lot – of people watching it. I resisted for a long time because I thought I would get so hung up on the ways that it didn't match my theology of the afterlife. I thought it was going to be like this excruciating experience of like that dissonance, I guess, between my own understanding of theology and all of that, that I was just, I wouldn't be able to enjoy it. 
Our penultimate helping from our sampler platter brings us to a show that ain't that old. So cast your minds back to November 20th, 2022, and listen to Liz and Betsy talk about Thelma and Louise for a very special Going on 30 pod. So this movie, it opened on May 24th, 1991. Mm -hmm. So summer release. Not necessarily a July 4th release, but like, hey, it's summertime. You're hitting the road with your family. Here's a film for you. I do know that it opened the same week as Backdraft. Oh, whichever Baldwin is in Backdraft was supposed to play the Brad Pitt character, J.D., and oh, was that Billy? Was it Billy? It might, it might be Billy Baldwin. And they took oh, too God. long. It took too long for Thelma and Louise to get oh, going. So he was like, sorry, I'm under contract with Backdraft. I've got to go. Sorry, I've got to go fight fires over here. Can you imagine if Billy Baldwin is? No, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. We will take Brad Pitt. Yes. We will take him. Um, so Liz, on this day in 90210 history, <laughs> are you ready? This yeah. was still season one. <laughs> episode 21. Oh my so god, much. those were long. So long. So this is the spring dance. Okay. Is and this when whole... um does Brenda lose her virginity to Dylan at this dance? Okay, we're getting closer. It's not okay. prom. Oh, it's okay. It's the spring, spring dance. Yeah. This is this is a not the climax, literally <laughs> or figuratively. This is a, just a little peak on the way there. Okay. As the school prom approaches, Brenda and Dylan become closer. Mm-hmm. Brandon can't decide whether to ask Kelly or Andrea. <laughs> oh, Brandon. Oh, when Andrea, when they still wanted to portray like 35 year old Andrea had a yeah. chance. Domestic gross for this movie was $45 million, which was number 28 grossing movie of 1991. Okay. Like not too, not too bad. Right. But not too good. Not too good. Okay. So on the all time grossing movie list this is at one number 1974 okay between these two movies Liz. is that list adjusted for inflation i do not know greg pulls these statistics okay <laughs> we'll have to ask him okay okay so um so we've got it is between the life and times of grizzly adams whoa and the comedy British comedy Bean. Oh. So now here it is, Liz. Flirt, Mary, Kill. Oh, God. At the Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, Thelma and Louise, and Bean. What are you going to do? <sighs> okay. I got to look up this Grizzly Adams movie. I don't know anything about it, but I'm going to flirt with Thelma and Louise, L- with them, with Brad Pitt, with Harvey Keitel, and with the American West. And with that car, I'm going to flirt with it all. Okay. Got it. Um, I'm going to marry Grizzly Adams. Cause I don't know anything about this film, but if it's about a man, that sounds like the kind of man I'd like to marry. There he is. He's Look right at him. Hell yes. This is a true story of a man exiled in the wilderness and how yes. he learns to survive. That's my husband. Dan Haggard. <laughs> Great. He's well, got a beard. I love it. He's, he's got, awesome. it is a fierce beard. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. my, that's my jam. Um, here okay. he is with a bear real quick. Liz. There's he is. Yes. Like we live with a bear. Like yeah. we're set. Um, yeah. And then obviously I'd kill bean. You kill bean. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are in a similar zone, but I'm going to flirt with grizzly Adams. Okay. 
Um, I don't know how long-term I feel about the bear. It would be a rough way to live for sure. It would be yeah. innocent fugitive from the law. Oh, how weird. It's so similar. Yeah. Lives in the wilderness with a grizzly bear companion and helps passers by in the forest. This is literally my dream life. Like where, where's that on my Tinder profile? That's what I'm looking for. That's what you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> An innocent fugitive. First even of all, if, even if we're just helping passers by in the wilderness, <laughs> I mean, that's nice. With a bear with a bear. Yeah. I mean, I'm bad. here for it. Okay. All right. So I'm going to flirt with the grizzly Adams. Okay. Then, I'm going to marry Thelma and Louise and I will. Yes. Kill bean. Kill bean. Obviously. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Here we are. We have made it to our final offering from our ninth anniversary spectacular. And the last soundbite comes from, drumroll, another oldie. And what can only be the number one offering on this random sampler. It's one of the more random episodes of the show when I was joined by an eclectic group of special guests, including Andy Shamel, Chris Arnold, and Dominic Moore, to talk about the very random topic of video game pop culture. Travel back with me to the lucky number 13th episode of Popping Collars, released on February 19th, 2015, and listen to a really unusual artifact from internet culture. Four white guys talking about video games. You'll never hear it anywhere else. I'm sure of that. Okay, here it is. And it's, it's, that, it's that experience of having uh, a shared set of experiences. The, the feeling of like leveling up in a game, like that's a particular experience, and and it it provides you know shorthand. It's a it's a it's a language. I'm with you, uh, Chris. I haven't. It's been rare that I've been, I've like bonded with somebody solely over video games. But when I make that connection, there's this like immediate familiarity, like a a, a shortcut to friendship. Yeah. If there's already this other uh, you know other other sources of connection. So I had I had a friend of mine who said that the first time he heard U2, he knew that he was going to buy every U2 album for the rest mm. of his life, as long as they released CDs. And um, I had a similar experience when I played uh, Final Fantasy for the first uh-huh. time. I knew I was going to be buying Final Fantasies until the end of time, mm-hmm. just because there was something about that game. See, that, that was Assassin's Creed. It's felt connected to. Right? For, for me, that was Bethesda uh, RPGs. You know, it was it was the first person exploration. Like, it just something about that scratched the niche that nothing else had ever had. Yeah, yeah, right. Because there's something about meeting another person that has that same love. Yeah. That you're like, oh, you you're in on it too. Like you're you're one of us, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, also, an ex- that's exciting to to have that interaction. Yeah. And I've I've also found that especially when it comes to you know the RPG immersive end of gaming versus say the you know the the Counter Strike um, fast twitch uh, end of gaming Call uh, of Duty yeah which is fine that's a perfectly cool thing it's just not my, not my deal meeting people who are really into the immersive role playing uh, strategy kinds of things there there are uh, creative muscles that get worked. Mm-hmm. In um, in playing those games and thinking in that way, that I find very pleasing in a conversation partner in ways that may or may not have to do with games themselves, but that sort of flexible, imaginative way of looking at the world and way of, of approaching problems, 
I find uh, congenial. I guess what I'm what I'm trying to figure out is I've I've heard rectors at various churches that I've worked at make the statement that our our parishes are a family, and I've never really felt that, and I've always kind of found it problematic actually. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a discussion with uh, Liz on the podcast a while back where I said, you know, it, it feels more like a team. It feels more like, you know, you've kind of adopted a favorite sports team or you've identi- you've begun to identify with a certain community. That's what it feels closer to rather than a family. It feels like you've chosen something. You've chosen some passion. And now you've found yourself surrounded by other people that have that similar passion. Mm-hmm. And that's what it feels like to find a parish where you sort of feel at home. And I think that there's something about this that's sort of uh, that correlates to the gaming community. Finding that finding those other Final Fantasy people and the way that we kind of find other parishioners that sort of share our ideas or that we can or that we feel comfortable sharing our ideas with. Maybe we don't all have to think the same, but we do all feel comfortable sharing with each other. I think that there's there's something about the communities that we choose. Yeah. That's it. Another birthday sampler platter of popping collars in the books. Thanks for listening. You can support your favorite Episcopal podcast by buying our merch. Just go to poppingcollarspodcast.com. Click the little tab at the top. You'll find our store full of fabulous items. You can also find us hanging out in the closed cafe of episcopaljournal.org. We love them. You will, too. Check them out for all your Episcopal news and journaling needs. And come back next month when Betsy, Liz, and Ricardo are back, refreshed, and ready to talk about more meaning and culture stuff with silly stories thrown into the mix. That is Popping Collars for this time. We will see you next time. And keep those collars popped. Pop, pop. That is the show. No more. Oh, my gosh. I got to tell you, we may have to change up some of these sampler episodes because these are really embarrassing outtakes from old episodes. Okay. Can't believe we kept our show. It's so bad. All right. I'm turning this off now. Bye.